to welcome on in. It is overtime with Jonathan Peter. I'm glad you guys can be with me here on this Thursday. It feels good. It feels really good to be in studio. That broadcasting from my house thing is for the birds. I can feel, I just feel it. I like it so much better. I know it means nothing to you guys. Just know my happiness level is at like an 11 right now. Just because my headphones are where they're supposed to be. I can hear the way that I'm supposed to hear when I'm talking to you guys. And they do a great job. And listen, I'm very appreciative. Like my boss, for instance, came by, dropped off the microphone for Tuesday as opposed to the headset. And uh, like we did, I I, I thank you so much to Andy for that. I think everyone did a great job and in trying to make sure that I could broadcast from home. The equipment was what the equipment is. I think it sounded as good as it possibly can, but it's kind of like going home after being on vacation for like a, a way longer than you ever want to be on vacation. It's just that feeling for me right now. Like I, it's my bed as opposed to sitting, you know, sleeping in the, the hotel bed. I've never been one of those people that is great in sleeping in a hotel bed. I'm always like, uh, I prefer my own bed. I don't even get great sleep in my own bed some of the times, but like I have no chance in in hotel beds. It's kind of what this feels like. Like this is this is home. This is good for me, and I can tell that I'm I'm all excited and I'm jacked up to be here because I have been going through and I'm having twenty minute conversations with Nick Wilson. Uh, me and Mackenzie are talking left and right for minutes on end. I, I got all sorts of conversations going on with Mac over here. I got Boom who's going to be popping in and out. I, I'm like talking to anybody and anybody. Now I like talking to these people. So like that one's, that one's a given, but I would have given just about anybody a 20 minute conversation just because I haven't had conversations with a lot of people. And so I, I, you could tell, and I'm sure Nick picked up on this as well. I, I think Nick was nice about it. And Mac, you, you were here. I don't know. You tell me, but I, it felt like Nick, Nick obviously enjoys talking to me and we enjoy talking to each other. We've been friends for eight years. Uh, we're good friends. And it's kind of like when you don't see each other for like a you know a couple weeks, anyone that you you really see every day and you really enjoy. When you see them, you get excited. But I did think Nick maybe carried on that conversation for like an extra five minutes because he knew that I was just enjoying it so much. I wasn't even saying much. I was just enjoying having a conversation with a human that I like. It was a good ba- It was a good back and forth between you two. It was just it was just nice to be talking to somebody that is not my. <laughs> I love my eleven month old daughter, but my eleven month old daughter just says dad, dad, mama. Okay, like she doesn't say anything else. She's very sweet, but she doesn't say anything else. So it's been me and 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 combos with my wife are obviously my favorite thing in the world. That's why I married her. But it's nice to have some variety. Nice to mix it up a little bit. Just a little bit. Between that and the four walls, it's nice to get out. Just a little bit. I felt deprived of it all. And that's why I love talking to you guys so much, too. The conversations we have on the phone lines here and talking about the brownies and everything like that, it really does. It brings my spirits way up. But then being in person and being able to uh, see the people that I work with and make the trip downtown and do all that, it's just, it's nice. It's nice. Now, I say all that to be like, I will be off tomorrow, just so you guys know. <laughs> just if you're like, hey, you finally got back to the studio? Where are you? Well, tomorrow we got a couple things going on. We have another another Browns-related show. We have the uh, Valeni and uh, Boomer Esiason show at 8 o'clock. And then uh, Spencer will be in for me at 9 o'clock because on Saturday, I'm on from 12 to 4.30 up until kickoff. So that's what they decided to do, 12 to 4.30 is where they're going to use me instead of uh, doing the night show on Friday. And that makes sense. I've done every pregame show for been here eight years. I think I didn't do the I didn't do pregame shows the first year I was here. I think I did 
like updates or something the first year, but then every year since it's been seven years of doing pregame shows. So it kind of it kind of makes sense that I would be there. Happy to be there. I got Chris Fedor popping in at noon until three. Ken Carmen will pop in at some point. We'll talk to Mary Kay like we always do. There's so many things I'm excited about and so many things about this game that I'm excited about. So let's get into it. Mike Sando will be joining us later on tonight at 10 o'clock as well. I'm sure he's going to have great thoughts on this game. But I think I honed in as to why I'm a little bothered by the talk around Flacco and Flacco's season with the Browns and bothered not from a local perspective, but bothered by an everyone else perspective. And I, I kind of went off a little bit into, you know, talking about the uh, the comments Aaron Schatz made here on this program on Tuesday night. And it, it still irks me. I'm not going to say that it doesn't. And I, I like Aaron. Again, I respect him coming on. I respect that he has his opinion. That's why, that's why we do this. That's why I bring on people from out of market. Because their opinion matters too. It does. Their perspective matters as well. When you live inside your bubble, sometimes it's really hard to get the truth and the honest perspective into what you're seeing. Sometimes you can be too close to something. I really do believe that is the case. Sometimes you can be too close to something. But it wasn't that Aaron Schatz said what he said in talking about Flacco. It wasn't that. It was more more me yesterday in watching a guy that covers the Steelers break down Mason Rudolph stats and say how Mason Rudolph was number one in completion percentage, was number one in two other advanced analytical statistics as well, number one in the time that he's been playing. You guys know, on Tuesday, we all kind of bandied up together. It was a band of brothers moment. We all kind of got together. We said to ourselves, we're not going to let Aaron Schatz, creator of DVOA, call the shots and what we think about Joe Flacco. He hasn't watched every snap. He's doing a box score watching. How dare he? Yeah, we like Aaron. He's a good good guy. I'm happy that he comes on the station. But again, like, how dare he come in here and say these things? That was the that was the the tone of that conversation and that discussion and while it was happening and then even after it happened. But then I did the same thing to Mason Rudolph. Right? If Aaron's take was that Joe Flacco will turn into a pumpkin because for three years we watched Joe Flacco not be great. And he might have a good five-game stretch now, but that's not who Joe Flacco is, and I'm just waiting for Joe Flacco to become Joe Flacco again. That's my same take that I have towards Mason Rudolph. I'm waiting for Mason Rudolph to turn back into a pumpkin because this is not the version of Mason Rudolph that you're expected to see. Here's where I get mad, though, and here's where I get a little angry about the discussion. And as sports mad, sports angry, not real mad, not real angry. But here's where the the talk around Flacco becomes a little bit bothersome to me. You can't equate Mason Rudolph and Joe Flacco. And Noah Eagle is the one that made the light bulb go off for me on this one. Noah uh, Noah Eagle, excuse me, son of Ian, on afternoon drive. It'd be kind of fun if we actually introduced people that way. It's like it's like uh, it's like it's like 700 BC. Jonathan Peterlin, son of Charles. That's kind of fun, actually. Mac, what's your dad's name? Mike. Mac Robinson, son of Mike. Mike's a better name than Mac. I don't know what happened there. You know what happened there? I'll tell you what happened there. 
Mike is, and I like the name Mac. I'm just messing with you. But Mike is a very traditional name. It's like it's like I'm Jonathan, but John's a very traditional name. I always feel like if you have a very traditional name, then your son, your daughter is going to have a very non-traditional name, and then they're going to have a non-traditional name. So then they're going to name you a very traditional name. Like my mom's name is Lavita. Okay, L A V E D A. Her, her mom, her mom found it in a book. Her mom's name was Helen. She named her Lavita, which is unconventional. And then me, I'm Jonathan. I have a brother named David, brother named Sam, and a sister named Sarah. Conventional, right? Like, that's this is how this all works. Balancing it out. Exactly right. Noah Eagle. Tell me if you catch it, and I'll explain what it is after this clip on Afternoon Drive. Here we go. No, it's magical. It really is. It's the, the Lynn Sanity. It's the any of those crazy runs. But I think that it's legitimate at the same time. And a lot of that goes to his experience. A lot of that goes to, to the history that he has within the NFL. And he's found a home. He's found a great running mate, both in Kevin Stefanski and David Njoku and Amari Cooper and an offensive line that, despite losing their two starting tackles, has played very well and remained pretty strong. So I, it just feels like the right situation. And the hope from an NFL fan's perspective, I'm sure, is that this magic continues. It's the Lynn Sanity comment. And Noah Ego cleared it up. I mean, he said he said he's Lynn Sanity, but then he cleared it up after the fact. So I'm going to absolve Noah, but that's the first thought that most people end up having. Lynn Sanity was great. From his friend's couch to being the talk of the NBA to then still sleeping on his friend's couch. It was the, it was the perfect storm. Tommy DeVito is Jeremy Lynn of today's day and age, right? Tommy DeVito, Tommy Cutlets from his agent down to Jimmy Fallon impressions. He was a very unserious football player. He was. He had no pedigree attached to himself. He was never going to be something that last. He's a great story. Dion at Colorado to a degree. Massive hype. Never had a chance to stay delivering on the big hype that he delivered for three weeks when he was beating, uh, let me check notes here. Oh, Nebraska football. Boy, did we really hype that thing up, didn't we? When Flacco went to Denver, and when he went to the Jets, people acted like he was how we're currently treating Jimmy Garoppolo. Garoppolo went to two NFC title games in three years. He played in a Super Bowl. This year, he got benched for Aiden O'Connell. He's not all of a sudden a bad quarterback. He didn't have his powers zapped by the Monstars, but the thinking around Jimmy G right now is that it was all Shanahan. The same way the thinking around Flacco up until this point was that it was all Baltimore's defense and Harbaugh and everyone else that wasn't Flacco. The problem I'm having is when you equate him to Jeremy Lin, when you equate him to Tommy DeVille, when you equate him to all of these other shooting stars who are in our lives and then gone in the blink of the eye, it devalues the idea that Flacco won a Super Bowl. It devalues the idea that Flacco was anything more than what people perceived him to be when he was playing, which is a slightly better game manager. And I just think the man deserves more respect than that. That's where I'm coming from in this. That I think ultimately that's what makes me mad with the Jeremy Lin comps and all these other comps that people want to just lazily throw out there before then trying to make it all good. Is that I? you can't throw those out there without it being disrespectful to me. Maybe I got too much of a soft spot for Joe Flacco is what this turns out to. I'm not completely wacko for Flacco, but I've been a Flacco fan since 23. We're going to buy the t-shirts. You know we are. I just feel like Joe Flacco deserves better than how he's been treated when you equate him to a shooting star. When you equate him to somebody that was in your life for the a blink of an eye and then out of your life. I, there's people out there, when I say Lynn Sanity, 
I know Lynn Sanity wasn't 35 years ago. There's people out there, though, that when I say Lynn Sanity, legitimately have to ask themselves, who the hell am I talking about? A lot of us know, and you're a sports radio listener, so you probably remember Jeremy Lynn. But it is, it is the perfect equation when you're equating it to Tommy DeVito. Not when you're equating it to somebody that won a Super Bowl. Not when you're equating it to someone that's made $100 million playing the sport. Not when you're equating it to someone that has more road playoff games than anybody in NFL history. Can we put some respect on the man's name, please? This is not a one-hit wonder. This is not just, it came out of nowhere. We should be thankful that Joe Flacco all of a sudden learned how to play football. No. The man has been good at football since he was knee-high to a duck. The man has been good at football since he learned how to walk. I bet that man had a tight spiral at four years old. He's always been able to do this. He is not a flash in the pan. He is not a shooting star. He is not a one-hit wonder, and that's where I get bothered. When you equate him to such a thing, it devalues what he's done with the Browns, and it devalues what you actually think he can do in the postseason. Because if you believed he was Jeremy Lin and you believed he was Tommy DeVito, then you also believe that 300 yards against the Texans isn't in the cards. You can't have it both ways. Because I never entered a Tommy DeVito game thinking he was going off for 400. Every game that he entered, I thought to myself, oh, it might get ugly. He's been playing great, but it might get ugly. 216-474-0092. How much faith do you have that Flacco isn't a one-hit wonder. How much faith do you have that he isn't Jeremy Lin? That Noah is wrong? That he isn't Tommy DeVito? That he isn't one of these other shooting stars? 216474 to below 92. On Twitter, there you can find me. I am at Jay Peterlin. Just getting started here. Mike Sando coming your way at 10 o'clock. Fan Focus back tonight at 9. It's overtime with Jonathan Peterlin here with you on The Fan. You know, it's magical. It really is. It's the the Lynn Sanity. It's the, any of those crazy runs. But I think that it's legitimate at the same time. And a lot of that goes to his experience. A lot of that goes to, to the history that he has within the NFL. And he's found a home. He's found a great running mate, both in Kevin Stefanski and David Njoku and Amari Cooper and an offensive line that, despite losing their two starting tackles, has played very well and remained pretty strong. So I, it just feels like the right situation and the hope from an NFL fan's perspective, I'm sure, is that this magic continues. Noah Eagle on Afternoon Drive earlier today. It is overtime with Jonathan Peterwin. It's the Lynn Sanity comment that just made me, I, I don't lose my mind. That's not really what happened. But it definitely, it kind of it kind of ticked me off. And I, I, I feel like people that are equating Jeremy Lynn and then I threw Tommy DeVito in there because Tommy DeVito is the 2023 version of Jeremy Lynn. And then I kind of threw a couple others in the mix as well. And I brought Mason Rudolph in the equation based off of a tweet we saw last night from a radio show host in Pittsburgh that wanted to talk about how Mason Rudolph is number one in seven different categories. Okay, fine. I know what you're doing. Okay, fine. There's a massive difference in my mind between those type of guys and what Joe Flacco is doing. Now, you want to tell me there's hype? Sure. But you can't tell me that anyone believed Jeremy Lin was going to last more than the seven or eight weeks that it lasted. You can't tell me that anyone thought, you know, uh, Tommy DeVito was going to last long enough to even make a $20,000 payday at a pizza shop that he didn't want to show up to. Like, I, you, you just wasn't, it was never in the cards. It was never going to happen. And the difference here with Flacco, for my money at least, is that Flacco has been there, done that, and got the T-shirt. Part of what the Browns are paying for is the experience 
side of Joe Flacco. Part of what they're paying for is the fact that he's played for 15 years. That he's been in McDonald's commercials. That he's been to a Super Bowl. That he has more road playoff wins than anyone else. I love how in my mind, by the way, I, I, uh, I equate appearing in McDonald's commercials with Colin Kaepernick with the same level as having the most road playoff wins in the NFL. But you don't put nobody's in McDonald's commercials. I haven't seen Mason Rudolph in the McDonald's commercials, I'll tell you that much. Although there's a missed opportunity there. There's a Santa Claus commercial for the holidays at some point that someone someone should have put Mason Rudolph into that nobody did. But you guys get the point. The point is I think I found out what is bubbling me over in this Joe Flacco discussion. It's not that I have to go so hard for Joe Flacco and trying to defend Joe Flacco because I, I just I don't need to. He is a great story. He's a great story, and a great story can also be something that can last a long time. The best story for Joe Flacco isn't just if Joe Flacco plays well on Saturday and then continues to play well for the following weeks afterwards and then re-signs with the Browns and then next year is able to do the same thing over and over again. Like, I mean, there's there's a lot here with Joe. I don't think there's going to be one chapter of Joe Flacco's life and then he's just up and gone and uh, flames out and we just never hear from Joe Flacco again. Because, again, I'll be the one that tells Noah Eagle, anybody else that wants to say he's Jeremy Lin, or the the story, at least, is of Jeremy Lin quality or Tommy DeVito quality, tell all you guys, I'm sorry if at the end of the season, let's say Joe Flacco loses this game on on, uh, Saturday against Houston and then the Browns turn around and say, we don't want to spend $10 million for a backup quarterback, and he looks around the rest of the league and nobody else wants him. Because then that actually would be the epitome of this story. The argument and, and the, the point I'm trying to make, though, is that I don't see that happening with Joe Flacco. Not only do I see playoff wins in his future, and starting on Saturday, I think he's going to get his first one underway, which is something Tommy DeVito and Jeremy Lin could only dream about. He's going to have playoff wins, and he's going to be a quarterback next year as well. Two one six four seven four to below 92. I am curious, though. In staying with Flacco, and I was thinking a little bit about this earlier today, and uh, the the conversations around Joe Flacco remain interesting to me. But when you try to relate them to C.J. Stroud, they become really fascinating. And I want your input. Two one six four seven four to one ninety two. Here's where we're going. Is there more pressure on this game for Flacco than what we're thinking? I can make a legitimate argument, and you tell me if I'm crazy. I think there's more pressure on Joe Flacco in this game than there is on C.J. Stroud. Find me the fly in the ointment in that statement. If I was doing this like I was trying to, uh, I, I told you guys before, I've never did debate class. I never did it. I, I If I had known that I legitimately was going to be a sports radio host, and, and, and at 12 years old I wanted to be a sports talk radio host, uh, growing up listening to you know Dan Patrick and Rob Dibble on uh, on the on ESPN radio at the time and then uh, Todd Wright all night and all those different guys that I loved growing up and and all the different local sports talk that I listened to and everything like that and in Chicago that I loved like I I love the I love sports talk radio and about 12 years old I put together that I was not going to become the shortstop for the Cubs so I, I I wanted to talk about sports in some capacity I want to be around sports in some capacity if I was smarter at 12. Like, if I had me as my own dad, for instance, and I had, my, I had a mom that did radio, but she just didn't put two and two together because she knew I liked playing sports more than I liked anything. But 
I would have put me in debate classes. I would have put me in debate classes and signed me up and said, there you go. But I've talked to enough people that do debate classes, and, I, and I've, I've dabbled a little bit in the world of debate. And really, every night that I talk with you guys is some form of doing a, a debate class. In the debate world, what they do is you create your argument and then you poke holes in it, right? You create your argument and then you poke you poke hole after hole after hole until you can find no more holes to poke. And I've told you guys for years, this is what I do when I come up with an argument or a discussion or some sort of topic on this show, right? I come up with a discussion. I make a point, something along the lines of, uh, is there more pressure on this game for Joe Flacco or CJ Stroud? 216-474-0092. And then I sit there and I try to poke holes. I try to think about... What is John and Ashtabula when he calls in going to tell me? What is uh, you know Jack and Metter going to call up and say where I don't want to look like I got my pants down at my ankles, right? I, I want to look like I, I, I got a rebuttal for it. I know what's going to be said. I know what's happening. Hey, you don't catch them all. But if you're trying to build a debate, if, if we're trying to do like a, a CSI show and then I'm in, I'm in the court of law, and I'm, I'm like a, I don't know why I went for CSI when we're doing court of law shows. There's like a million court TV shows. I could have gone with Fatlock. We could have brought that in the equation, but I went with CSI of all things. If I'm, if I'm doing a, a, a TV debate show, that's how you start that off, right? If I'm trying to argue that somebody didn't rear-end somebody else's car, that's the same recipe that I'm using for the stuff like this. When I try to poke holes in the idea that this game has more pressure for Joe Flacco than it is for C.J. Stroud, I got to be honest with you. I find more holes to poke the other way around. For instance, Joe Flacco, you can make a legitimate argument that he's playing for his NFL career. I don't think it's crazy to think that if Joe Flacco loses this game on Saturday, Browns decide next year, they don't want to bring him back as a backup quarterback because they don't want to pay him $8, 10 11 $12 million, whatever that number is. And then the rest of the NFL looks around and says, you're 39 years old. Uh, go back to your mom's couch. I'm sorry. We'll call you if we have an injury. But for right now, we don't have an injury. We have no need for you. You might actually be too good to be a bridge quarterback. Albert Breer on earlier on Afternoon Drive yesterday Albert had tried to make the case that maybe he'd be a, a bridge quarterback for a team that maybe takes like a Caleb Williams or a Drake May. I think the only fault, uh, the only fault in that like line of thinking is that when it comes to Joe Flacco, he might win too much. He might go 5-0. and How do you go 5-0 and in Chicago and then say, now we want to play Caleb Williams? I just don't think it's going to be reality. So in looking at this, if I'm asking you if there's more pressure on this game for Flacco, than C.J. Stroud. I can make an argument that Flacco is playing for his NFL career in this game on Saturday. Because if he wins, then all of a sudden, do you, you have suitors from other teams, I would imagine. But also, the conversation for backup quarterback for next year for the Browns becomes painfully easy. Because if you win the playoff game, there's not much of a debate that Andrew Barry can make where he can say, I want to save $7 million to have DTR be the backup quarterback again next year. It just won't fly. Not the way Deshaun Watson currently is and not the way we have to worry about him with injuries. It just it doesn't work. It, just, it doesn't add up to me. If Joe Flacco loses this playoff game, you can make that argument. If he wins this playoff game, you can't really make that argument. So I do think there's a part of this game that Joe Flacco legitimately, whether he knows it or not going into this, 
might be playing in the very last game of his NFL career if things don't go the way that he wants them to go. I think there's a, an alternative universe where he wins this game, wins against the Ravens, and then he can all of a sudden be that kid in uh, in, in blank check where he just gets to go down, he writes writes the number in and gets to decide anything that he wants to do. It's a weird situation for Joe Flacco. He's playing in front of his kids. Where if you watch that video on Sunday that they played in the in the Texas in the uh, Bengals game, Joe Flacco just talking about how his kids think that he sucks so much. My daughter's 11 months old. I might have to ask somebody else that has older kids. Maybe you could let me in and know if you have any older kids. I don't know how important it is that you try to impress your kids. One thing I do know, though, is like if uh, if my daughter was 10 years old, massively into sports, and was like, hey, listen to that Nick Wilson. That's how you do a radio show. Listen to you, pops. Woo. going to put me to sleep there, buddy. Like, that would kill me. That would be devastating. Not because she liked Nick. She can like Nick all she wants, but, like, the comparative there where it's like, you, so you do like sports radio, but then you don't like what I do? That would be kind of, that'd be kind of rough. His kids being a fan of, like, Patrick Mahomes is like, okay, that's, that's not great for me, but then also his kids being like, yeah, we think you suck at football. Oh, what? Look at, look at everything you have in life. It's because of this football game, okay? Be, be a little bit more appreciative, maybe. He wants to impress him. He's got his career on the line, in my estimation, wants to impress his kids. Well, what pressure does C.J. Stroud actually have on himself in this game? Honestly, name it for me. What pressure does C.J. Stroud have in this game? 216-474 to below 92. I can make a legitimate argument. He's got next to zero amount of pressure. There is not a person we've had on this station. I had Jeremy Branham, my buddy on ESPN Houston. We had uh, Sean Pendergast, another friend of mine, 610 Houston. He was on the morning show. John McClain's been on the morning show. We've had so many Houston area guest and they've all said they're playing with house money that is the consensus around this game Texans are playing with house money CJ Stroud can do whatever the hell he wants that man may not be able to walk on water in Houston he might not have the JJ Watt effect in Houston where I genuinely did believe at one point if Jesus Christ was on one side of the street and JJ Watt was on the other side of the street I don't I don't know that 50 percent of people are going over to Jesus Christ that's how powerful and big JJ Watt was in that city C.J. Stroud might not be there yet, but he's knocking down on that door of being one of the more revered Houston athletes that city has had. They love him in the community. They love him as a person. He's humble. He checks off all the boxes. He's got nothing to worry about. The only thing that happens for C.J. Stroud if he wins this game is he gets to play another game. He gets more experience. And the only thing that happens if he loses, people pat him on the back and say, thanks for taking us from three wins to ten. Congratulations to everybody. Two one six four seven four to below ninety two. I want to hear from you guys on this. I, I, I listen. I, I think most people, when asked this question, would say C.J. Stroud is more pressure than Joe Flacco. I broke it down for you as best as I can. I think the answer is obvious as the day is long. Joe Flacco clearly has a lot more to play for on Saturday than C.J. Stroud does, without question to me. At J Peterlin on Twitter is how you find me. J P E T E R L I N. Couple of you guys rolling in through the phone lines as well. I promise I will get you coming up on the other side. Fan focus coming your way at nine o'clock. It's overtime with Jonathan Bidlin here with you on the fan. And fan focus coming your way in 20 minutes. I'm back in studio, so we can do the fan focus. Fan focus in 20 minutes. Excited to have that back in our lives. Mike Sando back in our lives as well. He joins us coming up at 10 o'clock. Right now, I'm asking you guys, I just 
I just I believe it to be true. I'm asking you guys whether or not you think Flacco has more pressure on him on Saturday than C.J. Stroud. I think most people, when they hear this, they think C.J. Stroud obviously has more pressure, right? He's got the the world as his oyster. He's got the, everything in front of him, his whole career in front of him. Get it off to the right start. You know, he's capping off an Andrew Luck-esque rookie season. For me, this is different. For me, I, I feel like Joe Flacco has his entire NFL career on the line on Saturday. If it goes well, he's got a job in the NFL next season at minimum with the Browns. If it goes poorly, you don't win a playoff game. Who's to say Andrew Barry doesn't turn around and say, well, I don't want to pay you $7.5 million to be our backup quarterback even. Yeah, he's been great, but he'll be 39 years old. I don't know. I don't know that Joe Flacco returns if Joe Flacco doesn't win this game. I think he's going to win the game, though. And then I think he's going to be able to call his shot. But you see how much all this matters. I'm getting some tweets in and Twitter reactions brought to you by Scheibman Jewelers, Cleveland's premier jewelry store. Luigi points it out. He goes a step further. Luigi, you coming from my job here, buddy? I love this. This is great. He goes, thoughts on Flacco? I almost called him Flacco for some reason. Flacco could have the Hall of Fame on the line, depending on how far he goes. Ooh. Now... We're not going to do too much on this because I need to get to your phone calls. You guys have been waiting patiently. I'm going to get to you in a second. Can't tell me Eli Manning's a Hall of Famer because he won two titles and then tell me Joe Flacco is not a Hall of Famer if he's got two titles. Let that just sit down and, and permeate for a second or two. I just, I mean, I just think about it for a second. I don't, I don't know that many people would be lining up to put Joe Flacco in. Eli Manning had the New York City bump attached to himself. He had the fact that there's a lot going in Eli Manning's favor for the Hall of Fame. Eli Manning got in, though, because he won two. That's why he got in. 216474 to below 92. So you can at least make a legitimate argument. I could, I could pound the table and make that argument for Joe Flacco the same way enough people pounded the table for Eli Manning. Peter, going to lead us off here on the fan. Hello, Peter. Uh, I'm great, JP. How you feeling? Hey, feeling good. Feeling good. A little bit of a uh, cough, but feeling off, good. Oh, I, I hope you're feeling better, man. Last The end of November, I was in your spot. So I, I hope you get a quick recovery. Uh, also, Eli Manning is also in because he has two against the greatest dynasty in NFL history. And he interrupted the, uh, the perfect of perfect seasons. Yes, exactly. Um, Are they weighted you know, that way couple- though? Hold on one second. Are they weighted that way? Do you, do you think that's a, I think it, I mean, I think it should be. I mean, Bill, Bill Belichick won a championship every four years. Think about that. And well, he on beat average, he won it once every four years. He had a 10-year that's stretch where they didn't well, win that's one. that's what I'm saying. Imagine if okay, – so, yeah, there, there was a Tom Brady 10-year gap where he didn't win a, a Super yeah, Bowl. Yeah, I know, but I'm just saying, it, on average, he won one every four years. That's insane. And he beat him twice? It, it, when he was 18-0? Fantastic. Um, but anyway, I have a couple thoughts on the game. I was nervous, and then I had thoughts about the offense and defense that calmed me down. Offensively, I think Flacco fits into Stefanski's pass. Uh, mentality. I think he can put it where Stefanski wants him to put it. I know he throws interceptions, but there have only been like three or four where I've said out loud, oh, Joe. Um, So I'm not too worried about that, especially because the defense can get the ball back and the defense can force a three and out, and because DeFlacco can throw deep on any given play, so we can get out of trouble. Um, Defensively, the line, JOK is playing great in the middle of the field or in the in the middle mm-hmm. linebacking area, and mm-hmm. the secondary is just uh, out of this world. 
It was yeah, getting we're worried nervous. about that Denzel Ward news today, though. I don't, I don't like that I, at all. I, I think he'll be fine. Um, yeah. I, I was getting nervous, but then I had a wonderful thought today, and I, I feel so much better about the game. I'm nervous, and I realized it wasn't because I was afraid of the Texans. I'm nervous of what happens if we completely blow this game, and the national media he says, look at the Browns, they blew it completely, like all this hype, blah, blah, blah. And it's not really about the national media. It's the fact that I went to college in Baltimore with people from all over the East Coast, Boston, New York, Mm -hmm. New Jersey, Philadelphia, you know. And my senior quote in the yearbook was literally, you've never been to Cleveland. Because I'd been to all of those cities and states, and I'd been to all, you know, my, we had so many family vacations every summer. I've been to tons of states. No one had ever been to Cleveland, but would mercilessly make fun of me. For this was your high school Cleveland. yearbook or your college? No, college. In you have college, a college yearbook? To... I didn't have a college yearbook. Well, I went to a small. Oh, it's kind of cool. I kind of wish I had a college yearbook. It was, And my quote was, you've never even been to Cleveland, because I said it so many times where <laughs> people would mercilessly make fun of me being from Cleveland. Yeah. And I... I I, I guess I never really got over that because there's so much sports success in those big markets on the East Coast. And you, I always, you always feel like you just want that. You want the taste of it. Like you see so many places and some pop up all over. And you, you want to get over the fact that you're the Cleveland Browns and you look so bad for decades. And this would be like a turning of the tide for you, too. Is that what you're saying? And, and I would, yeah, exactly. And I realized that is why I was nervous. Okay. I wasn't nervous fair. because of the Texans. I was nervous because of how a loss would make me feel. And hasn't some of your and, and Peter, I appreciate you. I want you to go here. Um, hasn't some of your fears on that? Hasn't that kind of been taken away based off of how some of the that's so Browns moments haven't been happening this year? You know, that's uh, that's so Brown moment you're supposed to lose when Jake Moody is supposed to hit that field goal in the 49ers game. Uh, that so Brown's moment is Justin Fields converting that fourth and one play in the fourth quarter when the Bears are up large enough where that if he converts that that's game over it's blouses you know that that so Brown's moment is having a fourteen point lead in the fourth quarter against Lamar Jackson in an MVP season erasing that entire lead and then instead of hanging on for the win watching him blow that lead uh, that that's a that so Brown's moment. I get why you you live in your fears with that, but the Browns this season have tried to take all of those away. Boom, you want to guess what my high school yearbook quote was? It's pretty, uh, it's the basic B of high school yearbook quotes. It's about as generic as generic gets. I believed it, and I believe it to this day, but I was a, uh, you might be able to guess it. I'm totally not going to guess it, but uh, be like water, Bruce Lee. Was that yours? No, I'm just guessing yours. What was yours? I don't even remember. You don't remember your high school I don't know yearbook? if I had a quote. I probably did. I Shoot for the moon. Even if you miss, you'll still land among stars. That I've was heard my, that one. That was my a time or two, right? It was, it was less popular when I did it. And then, you know. I you think, were the innovator. Yeah, I, d- I doubt that. I am a tastemaker. But I, I don't know that I was an innovator on that one. 216474 to below 92. And the things we do in high school that we think are so cool and we think are just awesome. And then you look back on them and you're like, God, I was lame sometimes. Uh, of course, then again, uh, the guy that taught me that was also a degenerate at the horse track that I spent all my days in in high school at. It was between the the horse track and the bowling alley. I lived life as a 45-year-old degenerate gambler at 15 years old. It was betting on the ponies, and it was betting on bowling while trying to then get a scholarship to bowling. That was my high school experience. So, of course, I ended up with shoot for the moon. <laughs> Even if you miss, you're going to land among stars as uh, uh, a, a guy that... 
probably shouldn't have been giving teenagers advice was giving me advice. Jerry in Cleveland up next. What's up, Jerry? Hey, how you doing? Hey, Jerry. How are you? I got to admit, I like listening to you. I disagree with you a lot, but I like listening <laughs> to you. <laughs> well, thank you, Jerry. I, you I don't was, have to agree with me. I'm okay with it. I was just going to say, um, the only pressure these guys will feel is the pressure they put on themselves. Joe Flacco already proved that he is better than at least 10 or 12 of the starting quarterbacks in the league right now. Right now, the Jets and some of these teams are looking foolish because they didn't pick him up. And as far as uh, who's going to put more pressure on themselves, that quarterback who's been around for years, because he's guaranteed a job, whether it's with Cleveland or not. C.J. Stroud's going to put more pressure on himself because he is the rookie. He's but but C.J. Stroud, in that argument, out. in that argument, Jerry, C.J. Stroud is a much more guaranteed job than Joe Flacco does. No, he's got a guaranteed job. But uh, like they say, those lights are bright. They are. He's in the playoffs. Joe Flacco's been through all this before, so Joe Flacco's going to be the calmer one. In fact, Joe Flacco is going to be somebody that a team will pick up uh, maybe to start a year for a quarterback who's got potential to start. Yeah, that's what, I I, mean, that's what Albert Breer was saying. Made. That's what Albert Breer was suggesting. And, Jerry, I do appreciate you. I th- and thank you very much for the kind words. Uh, that's what Albert Breer was suggesting. You know, go to go to a place where, you know, Drake May gets drafted and you just need a bridge quarterback. The bridge quarterback, though, is not – they're not doing that as often as they did in years past. You're getting these guys, you're starting them right away. I, I, I don't know that – Joe Flacco is going to have as many job opportunities as people think he does. But I think what happens Saturday is going to go a long way in dictating that. I really do. I don't think the five games he's done so far is going to be the deciding factor on that. I think what happens Saturday, when everyone's watching, it's going to go a long way. Chuck up next on the fan. What's up, Chuck? Hey, what's happening, man? Hey, man, how are you? Oh, man, everything beautiful. Hey, oh, check this that. out. I'd love to hear that. Yeah. Real talk, man, on everything. The pressure right now. It's just strictly on the coaches, okay? This is where the chess game going to all pop off from. As far as pressure on quarterbacks, we, we got the veteran team, okay? Real talk, we, we got a lot of players that have been to playoffs, been to the Super Bowl, this and that. Everything going to kick up a few notches on that intensity. You know what I'm saying? Real on everything. They should go out there and just dog walk them. That's the way I'm feeling about this whole situation. I like situation. that you use my term. I like that. I always say dog, dog walk. I think it's a great term. And I like I'm using your term. Oh, it flows that. smoothly out of me. Yes, it does. Yes, it, it sounded good they when you said it. They need to just go out there and dog walk them. And it's time say to go it, to Chuck. Baltimore. Say it, Chuck. I'm just telling you, man. Listen to me, bruh. Everybody, man, I mean, if you played football, even if you was on a losing team, you know every game is let's go get it. Real talk. That's just how it go. They backed into the playoffs. We already locked ours down on everything. But then you turn around and be like, what? War got hurt. Are you kidding me? How? I mean, it's stuff like this little nitpicking things. But I got a quick question for you. All right, what's your question? Now, it came to my attention today that I have never thought about, heard about, but it's supposedly supposed to be true. And that is that the Super Bowl flag colors represents who's going to be in the Super Bowl 
and they went like back two, three years, and those years, teams third, had yeah. those colors. Yeah. Is, do you find any truth to that? No, this was the Aaron Rodgers thing. So if you believe this, you believe in the Aaron Rodgers uh, conspiracies out there. I just need to know. I need to know if you believe it. You're on the side of Aaron Rodgers and conspiracy theories. No, man, Maybe you're I'm into that. Saying, I don't know. I mean, when they showed the colors, they were the colors of the team. I never even knew the Super Bowl had a flag. <laughs> I never I knew like, either. What? They got a flag every year. I never even knew it. So, yeah. Do you, they do, though. No, they do. They do. <laughs> they do. So, if you look the, no. for the Bengals-Rams, I mean, do you, for the Bengals-Rams, I don't believe you, it. No, no, it's, it's, it's purely coincidental. But if you look it, at the Bengals-Rams and you look at the Eagles-Chiefs, they do They do. I'm, look I'm like just asking colors. you, is red and purple a coincidental color? You mean for the 49ers and the Ravens? And you already know what it is. Do you know this? Yeah, it's Are ridiculous. Are you hiding information? It's ridiculous. What I'm asking you. I, I believe in uh, the idea that there's NFL scriptwriters before I believe in this idea. All right, man. Hey, yo, speak up. Thanks, Chuck. You too. I like when I asked him how he's doing today. He's like, beautiful. Doing beautiful. That was a nice different answer. I like that. I like that he's in a good mood. I also like that he's bringing Aaron Rodgers – Pat McAfee show conspiracy theories to the table for us on a nice Thursday. No, I don't buy that nonsense. It's cool. I mean, listen, it's it's like a fun thing. Roger Goodell will probably make jokes about it, but it's, it's come on. Absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. Fan focus, not insane. We'll have it for you next when we come on back. First time all week. It's overtime with Jonathan Peterwin here with you on The Fan.